You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. Wonderful, majestic world around us. It's time for Dear Science. Thanks to Motat, the museum inspiring the innovators of tomorrow. And now we should be joined in studio by Alan Blackman. Alan, how are you today? Not exactly in the studio. But, Good, uh, thanks. Yes, by by phone, um, yeah. of course, due to weather-related circumstances at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I figure it's probably safer to stay out here in Titangi rather than come into town. And um, yeah, yeah. Very and much so. Everybody out there managed to survive the night. Um, we did remarkably well out here, actually. Um, I think everything just sort of blew over us, so we really didn't get much. We're extremely lucky. Well, that's great to hear. Here in central Auckland, where our studio is, we've got um, actually a little bit of sun right now, so not yeah, looking well. too bad. We had rays of sun and we were like, what is everyone talking about? <laughs> 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 oh. yes. Well, okay. what have you got for us today, Alan? What have I got for you today? Awkward silences, obviously, when I'm on the phone. <laughs> 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 okay. We are going to kick off today by talking about you of ice. <gasps> How cool is that, Ching? That's pretty cool. We've got a <laughs> brand new type of ice. I know. So you might think that ice is pretty boring stuff and that there's only one form of ice. You take water and you cool it down and it turns into ice and that's all that there is to it. But... In fact, there's a hell of a lot more to ice than just what happens when you freeze it under normal conditions. And in fact, there's 19 different forms of ice that are known that are what we call crystalline forms of ice. Okay? Now, ice is a weird beast. Um, And the weird thing about ice is that the solid form which is what we call ice, is less dense than the liquid form, which is what we call water. And this is why ice floats. And this is an extraordinary rare phenomenon. You don't find this um, very often at all in nature. The solid form of a substance is pretty much always more dense than the liquid form of the substance. And so it, it will sink if you put it in the liquid form of the substance. And... Uh, another and and the reason behind this, or, or what actually happens when you cool, is that when ice forms, it expands, and that's why it ends up being less dense than water, and that's why your pipes freeze in winter and why they um, rupture because you've got this ice expanding as it cools. Now, so what's what's all this got to do with uh, anything at all? Um, <laughs> well, it's all very well, good that, knowledge. That, that's just the lead-in sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. as I said, there's 19 different forms of crystalline ice. And what happens in those forms of ice is that you've got order on the microscopic scale, okay? So ice is made up of water molecules. These 19 different forms of ice are just molecules of water arranged 19 different ways in solid ice, Okay. And in order to do this, you, you have to change the pressures, you have to change temperatures, you get all sorts of weird things. 
So those are crystalline forms of ice. You can also get what's called amorphous forms of ice. And these are forms of ice where there's no order. Okay, so the whole thing just um, is a, a, a jumble of water molecules, basically. So there's a bunch of workers at the University College in London, and they just thought, oh, look, heck, what, what the hell would happen if we took some normal ice and we put it in this thing called a ball mill at negative 200 degrees Celsius and see what happens? Now, a ball mill um, is just a big, hollow steel tube, basically, um, that you can close at uh, both ends. And... In that, you put your ice at minus 200 degrees Celsius, and you also put in a whole bunch of steel balls. And then you spin this tube and spin it and spin it and spin it, and those balls go round and round and round, and they clunk into each other, and they grind up whatever is in your ball mill very, very, very effectively. And so they just did this as a let's sort of see what happens sort of thing, and um, they got a big surprise because what they found was that they start off with normal ice, and then after they had it in the ball mill at minus 200 degrees Celsius, they found a lovely white powder. Ooh. And in order to figure out what had happened, they used x-rays. And x-rays generally show you whether you've got water in your ice or in, or in anything for that matter or not. And they found that, no, there was in fact no order according to the x-rays. And so they had found a new form of ice. And so new form of ice. Yep. No, no, go ahead. What 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 would this be used for? What what do you do with a new form of ice? Is it still used to cool things? <laughs> well, this is this is one of those sort of blue skies research things and you sort of think, well, whew, what do you do? So how how could this possibly be relevant to anything? Well, funny funny you ask, because what happens, the the weird thing that they found was when they warmed up this new form of ice and then recrystallized it, it gave out lots of heat, quite a lot of heat. And they then started thinking, ooh, okay, so we've got these planets in the solar system and, you know, there's a lot of ice on those planets and they have these things called ice quakes rather than earthquakes, okay? And, you know, people are trying to figure out how these ice quakes work, what, what sets them off. And it could well be something like the fact that um, it might be this new amorphous form of ice that gives out lots of heat, and that heat melts the ice and then could possibly lead to these ice quakes, possibly, okay? That might be clutching at straws a little bit, but still, it's fascinating to know that pretty much the most common substance on planet Earth can still surprise us. We still don't know everything there is to know about water, and I think that's fabulous. I'm so curious. Is this something we can, like, replicate at home? Is it possible to, <laughs> I don't know, use a popsicle stick for stirring in a common ice mold? <laughs> <laughs> um, not, not in this case, no. Uh, you need something to get down to about negative 200 degrees Celsius. That's the thing. And a lot of these... Um, Different forms of ice are very, very are formed under very specialised conditions. So generally, huge pressures, huge pressures, like you know tens and hundreds of thousands of times atmospheric pressure, um, and you can force the molecules to then reorder in, in different ways. So um, it might be a little bit of an academic curiosity, but as I said, I think it's fabulous that we still don't know everything there is to know about water. This sounds like a nightmare for bartenders. <laughs> 
go up and ask for some strange one of the 20 variations of ice or just exactly and they <laughs> charge you through the nose for it if they, if they you know get that idea so, i can yeah. only but imagine so and talking about water seen as so yeah. much of it's fallen from the sky today and last uh-huh. night we got a bit of a water story here yeah um, a bit of a water story, we do, and um, this is this is to do with big water. <laughs> now you've, you've you've heard of big farmer, haven't you? People go on about big farmer and sort of conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Well, here's a conspiracy theory from big water, and that conspiracy theory is to do with how much water you need to drink every day. Okay, and if you listen to, God forbid, the internet or whatever, um, they will probably tell you that it's eight glasses of water a day you need eight glasses of water a day to stay hydrated that's what they say they do i always assumed part of that water just sort of comes quietly in other things like there's water in sort of everything right oh oh absolutely it does and this is what big water don't want you to know (laughs) (laughs) because how how else would they make their profits i've heard that the more expensive brands are actually better for hydration is that right no, 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 no. Water is water is water. That's so true. I felt that the is. same. <laughs> so the question is, where does this thing about eight glasses of water actually come from? Because it is kind of commonly accepted law now, you know, that this this is what you've got to have. And it goes all the way back, surprisingly, to 1945 and the dietary guidelines from the Food and Nutrition Board of the National Academy of Sciences in the USA. Yeah. And they said, back in 1945, two and a half litres of water daily. That's what you need. And again, this has been taken as absolute gospel um, since that day. Now, as Casper, you correctly point out, water exists in our food. Okay, So our food actually contains a lot of water and a lot of the sort of the daily water that we actually need. And um, so the question then becomes, is, is this, the case is this actually you know is this kosher so to speak so professor galloway at sterling university in the uk he's a professor of, a professor of nutrition there and he's come up with a very very simple um way of basically you finding out whether you are drinking enough water or not now of course everybody's different all kind of different shapes and sizes so this whole you know eight glasses and that's it of course it's going to vary and so the simple way, and this is scientific, okay, the simple way is how many times you pee a day. <laughs> I've, always, I've always looked at the colour. I've been told that uh, if it's too dark, you're dehydrated. Yes. That, that, is, that is also um, a possible way of, of doing that as well. Um, but he has come up with the uh, idea that if you're peeing four to six times a day, then you're all good. You're having enough water and you don't need to change anything. Uh, anything greater than that uh, might not be the best for you. You can cut down a little bit. Anything less than that, um, you're probably uh, needing to drink some more. But basically, it all sort of goes on your regularity, et cetera, et cetera. So forget this idea of big water and going out and buying 
it by literally the bucket full or the plastic bottle full. <laughs> and, um, you know, you can you can basically keep tabs on whether you are drinking enough water or not. Forget what the so-called experts in, in big water say. <laughs> yeah, I never in a hundred years thought I'd be told to cut down on water, but here I am today. I've always been suspicious <laughs> of health guidelines, and it's really nice <laughs> to know that I now have a reason. <laughs> yes, well... You know, guidelines are guidelines, aren't they? You know, that's that's the important word there. Um, they're not they're not you know hard and fast rules. Um, Except so, in an emergency like a cyclone, in which case guidelines are very important. And uh, <laughs> please do be watching out for the latest advice. Yes, yes, very true, very true. Right. Um, are we are we going with a third story, or, or have we run out of time? I think we have plenty of time for a third story, especially one about space. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. We well, love space. <laughs> okay, here's, here's a quiz for you. How many planets have rings? Saturn. There you go. I, Saturn. Think, I think probably it's a couple. I think it's three or four. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously when, when, you know, Millie is absolutely correct. When you look up at the sky, Saturn's the one that you see. You've, you've ever seen Saturn through a telescope, you can see those rings. It takes your breath away. It's, it's astonishing. It's beautiful. And Galileo first saw those rings in 1610. However, Casper, you are correct in that there are three other planets that have rings. And a wild guess, Uranus. too. <laughs> so Uranus, Jupiter, and Neptune have all got rings. And wow. then all, all of the listeners are probably saying, no, they don't. I've seen photos. <laughs> um, well, the photos weren't good enough to see the rings. The rings are tenuous at best, but they are, in fact, there. And they were discovered by the Voyager spacecraft in the 70s and 80s as it did flybys of those planets. And um, so what are rings made of in Saturn and Jupiter and Uranus and Neptune? They're basically made of dust and ice and rock, those sorts of things. And they are thought to be remnants of moons that got too close to the planet and um, got into the gravitational field and just sort of got ripped apart and um, ended up as a ring. Are these now, like solid so, objects? Can you can you walk on a ring? No, they're not they're not solid per se, um, because they have flown through the rings of Saturn. Um, so, you know, they're just <laughs> basically bits of stuff, really, bits, bits of rock and everything. So you'd, you'd have a hard job walking on them, I'd say, but um, I think some of the bits of rock are quite sizable. You'd have to hop across them. Will the Earth ever have <laughs> rings because of all of the satellite debris and so on? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a good question. I think you'd need an awful lot of debris um, before you'd start getting rings around the Earth. But right. they're a relatively rare phenomenon, um, and there are also a couple of dwarf planets as well um, that are out beyond Saturn and Neptune that have got rings. And so to these six objects in the solar system, now we add a seventh <clears throat> because workers in Brazil and Europe and the UK, USA, Morocco, Australia and yahey, New Zealand Ooh. have reported this in nature um, this week, okay? And there is a dwarf planet called Quaor. Q-U-A-O-A-R, Qua'or. And they showed that this dwarf planet, and dwarf, by dwarf we mean smaller than Pluto, okay? Really, really sort of tiny. Right. And 
being really, really tiny, you can point a telescope at it and not see the rings. So the rings are too faint to be able to actually visually see. But what they did was they used a thing called an occultation. And an occultation occurs, it's kind of like an eclipse. So when a star goes behind this particular uh, dwarf planet, the light from that star gets cut out momentarily, and then as it passes behind, the light comes back. And by analysis of that light, they found that they that this qua-or must have rings because the light dipped and then re-intensified and then dipped and then re-intensified and then dipped and re-intensified. So if it was just the one thing, if it was just a, a, a nice sphere, it wouldn't do that. So they have shown from this fact that um, this thing has got a ring. Now, you know, that's fabulous. That's, that's the seventh example of something that's got rings. But the really interesting thing for this is the distance of the ring from the dwarf planet. And the current theory of ring formation says that roughly the rings are about three times the planet radius away from the planet. Wow. Roughly. They're, that's they're, they're way more than I would have thought. Now, okay, so this one now is seven times <gasps> as far away, okay? So that's that's big, and what this is going to mean is that we've got to rethink our concept or our idea of how rings form around celestial objects, basically. And um, that's going to keep people busy for uh, more than a little time, I think. So, you know, again... Um, and, and maybe a, an academic sort of uh, interest only, but I think it's kind of cool. And um, as I say, um, it's anything that forces a rethink of your currently accepted ideas is a good thing because that's going to advance knowledge. So I love it. So yeah. little planet Kwa Oa with his big rings. <laughs> there you go. Big rings, Absolutely. big ice, or big big water, maybe big ice. <laughs> <laughs> big water, big ice. Big ice machines to make the new ice. <laughs> it's all yeah, so it's, it's, yeah it's, it's been basically a, a dear science about water and ice and stuff like that today. Oh. All, all things we like, um, except when there's too much of it outside. Yes, indeed. Yes, amen. Thanks so much for talking <laughs> with us today, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Not a, not a problem. We'll see you in the studio in two weeks, hopefully. Great. Thanks. Fantastic. Okay. See ya. Well, I didn't know that before. Dear Science, thanks to MOTAT, the museum inspiring the innovators of tomorrow. We're going to go now for a very short break before we're back for some more news from Millie. That was a 95BFM podcast. Support 95BFM with a B-card. Go to 95BFM.com slash sign up.